This is episode four of the Health Translations podcast. Health Translations is Australia's largest directory for translated health and wellbeing resources. There are over 18,000 resources available in more than 105 languages. This series explores the way culture, language and health interact. In each episode, we talk to healthcare professionals and community members about the role translated health information plays in their lives. My name is Nicola and I work for the Centre for Culture, Ethnicity and Health a not-for-profit organisation that manages health translations on behalf of the Department of Health and Human Services. Today we're speaking with Siri. Siri works at the Centre for Culture, Ethnicity and Health, where she tailors training to organisations in the areas of cultural competence, health literacy and interpreting. Siri has also worked on numerous projects, helping organisations translate information so that communities can understand it. Hi Siri, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No worries. Could you tell me a little bit about yourself and what sort of work you do? I am the training coordinator at Centre for Culture, Ethnicity and Health and we do a lot of trainings for health, community, local government and any other organisation interested in improving their work with migrant and refugees and we've also broadened that work out to health literacy which is thinking about how you can improve your organisation and make it easier to access for any clients that might have any difficulties. So we promote health translations at um, all the trainings that we go to and what a typical scenario for most workers that work with clients is they have a lot of clients to see in a day and they're looking, you know, they don't have a lot of time to do extra work. So when we mention health translations, we it's people can see it as something that's just easy for them to quickly tap into. So even for documents such as Centrelink forms and things, information that's translated, they can find that easier by looking at health translations and we just tell them how, you know, they can search by language, they can search by topic and some of the other tips and, yeah, most people will find that quite a good tool. Great. And you mentioned in some of your past work that you've done some work with Fisheries Victoria, I believe. Could you talk a little bit about that? That's right. So CH, we do quite a few projects with any organisation that's looking to improve their cultural competence, whether they're looking at their organisational systems and a lot of requests come in to help them make resources that are translated but also culturally appropriate. And Fisheries Victoria approached us because they have a lot of newly arrived communities that do enjoy fishing, but it's not so regulated overseas. So in particular, the fisheries officers noticed a lot of people from Korean community didn't have licenses or didn't check properly what they were fishing because there's a lot of laws about what you can fish and what you can't fish. Mm-hmm. So they asked CH to help them do that. And I know this is a podcast and not a visual thing, but I have the example. <laughs> um, yeah. Can you describe it to us? Yeah, so I'll describe it to you. So basically the fisheries guide that is in English is a very comprehensive guide that lists all the fish and the sizes and weights and goes into a lot of detail about what you can do. But for the Korean community, that it was in English and a lot, a lot of technical words and there was just too much stuff. So they wanted something that they could use and make sure that they weren't in getting in any trouble with the law. So we did a lot of consultation with the community and really worked a lot with Fishers of Victoria to, to, to reduce the amount of information because we needed them to be able to take it in mm. um, because the more you have, the more expensive it is to translate. But also... It's, you know, for people, um, a lot of people coming from a low literacy background, it's too much. So what are the most key things? So the community really guided us on that. And there was a few key fish that they needed to be aware of and also um, shell shellfish as well. So that was great. And fisheries really took on board that feedback and whittled it down. And then 
that also flowed into the look and feel that we needed a lot of more white space than what was in the guide mm. and some pictures that would resonate with them as well. And what was good was even though the community has a lot of low literacy, a written guide was still seen as useful because people who could read would pass it on to others. Oh, great. Yeah, that's so when they go, well. they're fishing groups very socially, so they could, yeah, they could have that as a reference. That's, yeah, that's amazing to hear about the differences. And also, I think from anyone's perspective, you're not necessarily going to read, want to read through a huge volume. So, you know, I really second the Korean community's perspective on that. You know, who wants a manual that that's that thick? It's just too much to go through when you're just wanting to go out for a fish for fun. Did you have any other examples of work you've done with community consultation? Yeah, so at CEH we ran a multi- the Multicultural Gamblers Help Program for around four years. In that program we had a great opportunity to connect with a range of different cultural communities that were around. So State Government Gambling Foundation were happy to take on board our feedback that you couldn't just take an English brochure or English information about problem gambling and translate into a lot of languages. So they recognised that we need to talk to communities and get their feedback. And what would probably be different from the fisheries situation is gambling was quite a stigmatised issue to be a problem gambler. And also it wasn't something that a lot of people were aware of because in many countries it's still illegal and people would be doing it as a black market mm. kind of kind of activity. So you said that you can't translate directly from the English version and you had to work with the community. Yeah. Can you talk about um, some of the reasons why you can't do that direct yeah. translation? So one, the actual words, some of the words don't translate. So we had one project with the Khmer Cambodian community and they were saying that there's like four different words for depression that they can think of. They wanted to use a particular word. And so if we don't talk to a community, it could have been translated with the wrong word. So it would technically makes sense but it wouldn't people wouldn't identify with it yeah so it's not going to yeah. resonate the so there's that yeah. yeah so choosing the words carefully choosing the expression carefully and you only get that from talking to the people who use that then there's the other element of the theme so especially in something that's a more stigmatized issue we um, in australia work a lot with harm minimization where we think you know we want to encourage the individual to reduce harm and also seek help in many other countries that don't have that approach or they have a different approach that family and broader community is going to get you that's how you get help they're the ones that are going to t- going to help you or take you to services or link you in so we needed to change that individual message to a lot more family message and it did bring in that yeah example which you can't see but we might have a photo of it <laughs> later yeah um, and would that, you mind describing yeah. that as well so the iraqi community wanted to do a brochure where they they actually got community members volunteered to take their photo, which was great because you know to have then have people that in the community that could be recognised and they were willing to put their name on it really would um, break a lot of barriers for people to talk about it. And also the messaging that they wanted was yeah that we're going to protect each other, not you can seek help like a lot of um, messages would have that it's about friends and family helping you get to that um, help or your responsibility to your family is another message that comes in so if you see a lot of the translations that we've done there'll be some sort of family connection with kids um, husbands and wives those sort of things as well and it seems like the language is a lot more inclusive as well like using we rather than you and things like that so what so one of the issues would be not having these kind of translations is someone is you know grappling with what to do and they pick up the English version, and the message might not resonate with them. Whereas if they can get that more nuanced and culturally appropriate translation, it might be something that just helps them feel a bit more comfortable and, you know, helps them making that hard first step to get help. 
This episode is brought to you by CEH, the Center for Culture, Ethnicity and Health. CEH works to improve the health of people from migrant, refugee and asylum seeker backgrounds. CEH offers professional development to individuals and organizations in the areas of culture competence, health literacy, working with interpreters and more. Through this training, workplaces have been able to improve their inclusivity, efficiency and their responses to people from migrant and refugee backgrounds. To find out more, go to www.ceh.org.au. And turning now away from more of the sort of community health to the healthcare professionals, yes. which is sort of who you predominantly work with, could you talk a little bit about some of the barriers that healthcare professionals encounter in delivering healthcare in terms of language and culture? And- yeah, so I guess we've probably been to about 80 organisations this year. We see quite a few um, professionals and some of the common things are obviously people time and trying to work in a way of giving extra care and being culturally sensitive but at the same time trying to grapple with their other workloads so what we try and do is provide them with some tools where they can put that into their own work practice maybe some different questions some analysis and thinking about what could be a different perspective to this because often if we don't unearth the perspective of the client and their cultural understandings all the treatment plans and all the other things that you do later on don't work out because it didn't didn't meet what they wanted and it's very hard to get to a point where you get that and often it takes time and yeah that's why we're giving these supports and extra things to so that they can put into their work practice. Can you give an example of something that like maybe a nurse or a dietitian would be adding to their list of questions? Like, yeah. is it so it's as simple as thinking about, well, what do you call it? So for example, we would call something diabetes, but maybe they call it something else in their own language. And a lot of countries would have the term diabetes linked to sugar and sometimes it directly translates to sugar problem. Mm. So if they're seeing it in that way and they're naming it that way, then they might have more limited view. So if you can unearth that, and start that conversation it can help you explore what they need the extra information that they need to know and also if you've got the words that they like to use it can help them feel more comfortable if you're using their terms along the way what would you say is a common misconception about translating so people who do translations when you give them something it's not like you can just give it without the context because there's choices that the translator can make that will change the tone of what you're doing and make the make what the reader feels different as well, even though it's technically correct. What's the biggest error you've ever encountered in the work you've done with translations and or maybe not even just translations, but also community consultation, development of resources, programs, events? Some of the errors mainly, yeah, in word choice that come up and people say, oh, that's just t- too hard. But the big one is probably the the level of language. So when you think about a lot of the post-World War II um, migrants that came out, many of them only completed primary education. So thinking about some of the Italians and Greeks mm-hmm. and other countries that came out. And so some of the brochures that are translated for those communities get translated by a university-educated translator and they have maybe hasn't been briefed properly, so the language that comes out is too hard for that for those communities to understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so does that come down to making sure things are in easy English to start with yeah. before it's been translated? So, yeah, it's need, needing to be careful with what you write, first of all. it starts with, The translation starts process, I guess, starts with you. Your text as in, in plain language or easy English, That's so it is easy to understand in the first place. 
and not have too many adjectives and too many other things in the in the text that make it hard to understand yeah and working your way and then when you do go for a translation briefing the the translation company but who's it for and what you need to you know we don't want to you know the language level is it a someone with grade six english or um or so on and this year you've worked with over 80 organisations. Uh, within each organisation, you're working with the various individuals on different projects yeah. as part of the training. Yeah. And so has there been a favourite project that you've come across? Because people do work and they take it back and they further develop it within their actual yeah. offices and then they come back again. So that happens the most with the health literacy course. And what's great is we can um, – one example is even here in our offices in North Richmond Community Health – our communications person and allied health worker, Fran and Marianne, they actually used the information that we've been discussing about plain language and applied it to client information in the centre. And they went and actually surveyed clients who were in the waiting room and asked them, what did you want to see in information pack about North Richmond? And basically they were surprised and they got the results that they just wanted a little bit of information on the services and not a huge comprehensive um, guide. That was good. So they were able to then try and simplify and they worked a lot with managers because the managers had put forward the information before and it was very technical and accurate. But what they were trying to do is translate into everyday words for the community to understand. So when new clients come, they knew what the range of services were. It seems to be a running theme um, across all communities that people want succinct information and, and, and they want it to be quite brief. Is that something that you found? Yeah, there is, especially with written, I think. There's there's a need for context and things, but it's it's like everybody is when they're trying to access services is that people are busy the workers are busy everyone's busy so they just want to get something and quickly pick up okay this is what it's about and this is what i need to know mm-hmm. and then they can overview. they can get, get that overview yeah yeah and then they can go into depth more if they need to later what would you say is the biggest barrier to accessing healthcare either from a community member's perspective or from a healthcare professional's perspective Okay, so from the community perspective, it's that the services are quite complicated. So there's they can't turn up in one organisation and have all, all their needs met. They need refer some services need referrals, so they have to go back to their GP. They might need to fill out and qualify for certain things, so they have to make applications and and you know they have to meet certain criteria. So it's not logical to them on what to do. So they are turning up to the services unclear and unsure. And then on the health provider's side, the way the system can be set up is it's it's harder for them to make it easier because they're, they're meeting all these complex funding requirements. But it's not saying it can't be done. And there's a lot of services putting in a lot of work to make, their, make things easier for clients to access. Yeah. So what would you say to people in the community about translation that they might not already know? So especially for service providers, what they might think of from what we've been talking now is it's hard work. You've got to do a lot of consultation to get a resource translated. But what I would say is having this opportunity to meet so many people in the community has has also opened a lot of doors for me. And so if you engage with the community and they connect and they believe in what you're doing, you're already getting the message out there before you've even translated the resource. And so once your resource has been translated, these people are more than willing to help you get it out to the community. So the other thing that I would say about translations is they're a great resource and they can help people understand that information, but they're just they're one tool that should be part of a suite of good culture, cross-cultural communication. And the, the two together can really help the client with their needs.
So it's it's not the sole piece of information that someone should be provided. It's it's to complement other areas and information. That's and services. right. Because it it gives people that overview, as we say, and it's in their language, but they still need to be worked with as an individual, mm. and their needs and need to be considered that way. And that can the translations can help open up that conversation. Mm. And it's the tools and strategies and the skills of the worker, obviously, that will um, make a better health outcome for people. What I found also with resources when talking to healthcare professionals yeah. is that a lot of people use them as a take-home resource. Yes. So instead of maybe referencing them in the session or they do reference them in the session, but then they give it to the patient to take home so that any information they've been provided is sort of reiterated and they can have that document to look at later on. Yeah, that's a good point, Nicola. And I think it's about, as you say, translations are a great resource, but it's about opening up a conversation with the service provider and to have a good result for clients from different cultural backgrounds is having the translations and pairing that with good cross-cultural communication. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today, Siri. My pleasure. That was Siri from the Centre for Culture, Ethnicity and Health. We've been talking about the basics of translating, why community consultation matters, how to best use a health translations resource, and the benefits of translating material into other languages. Go to www.healthtranslations.vic.gov.au to access the 18,000 plus free resources. The music for this podcast was created by Zeb Rogerson. This episode was produced by Nicola Nemerick and Annie Tillak-Benton. The podcast was made possible by the Centre for Culture, Ethnicity and Health. For show notes and to learn more, head to www.ceh.org.au forward slash podcast.